Welcome to the Elevate Life podcast channel, a channel focused on helping you establish a biblical philosophy of life that will empower you to reach your full God-given potential. For more information about our church, visit elevate.life. Enjoy this episode. Greet somebody since you didn't do it a minute ago. Come on, y'all turn to somebody and say, you're looking good. Glad you're, glad you're here. Well, I said, um, I said first service that we have the didaskalos today. And uh, I don't know a lot of Greek, but I do know that word. And uh, we've been talking about philosophy in this series, ancient philosophy and the kind of philosophy that we should have. In the Bible, the, 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 Jesus' followers called him a didaskalos, which means teacher, but not just a teacher, a teacher that lives it. Yeah. And it's the same thing that students of philosophy would call the master of philosophy. So... We have my master of philosophy of life on stage today to talk about having a philosophy of yeah. life. Well, it's great to be here, and it's great to have you all here. And uh, Josh, you're going to kind of kick us off because I have to tell you where all this started, just, just philosophical thought for me, um, and that was with your, your now mom. She wasn't your mom, but uh, she, she was somebody that I was pursuing and, um, you were 15. And so, that's why she wasn't my mom then. Yes. Yeah. Well, great. 15 year old moms are awesome. Mine just wasn't. Yeah. Yes. So when I sat down with, uh, now pastor precious Sheila, uh, I had just turned 16. She was 15 and I wanted her to be my girlfriend. And the way that we said it back then was we go steady with me. And so I said, Hey, I, I'd, I'd like to ask you a question. I'd, I'd like to know if you'd like to go steady with me. And before she answered, I mean, she was just like a thoroughbred waiting to like come out of the, come out of the, um, you know, I mean, she was, like, she was like ready to say, yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, no, no, no. Before you say yes, I said, I have this philosophy about how relationships work. And, um, and so that was really the first time at 16 that I actually used that word to really describe the way that I thought about life and relationships. And so, uh, so I took out a piece of paper and drew a triangle. And I said, this is you, this is me, this is God. And I said, what I really believe, and I drew an arrow from her name to God and an arrow from my name to God. I said, I really believe if we'll be our best for God, then whatever we decide to do, and then I drew an arrow between our names, that I believe God's hand will be on it. And I said, what do you think about that? And she said, well, well, I like that. And then I just kept talking to her about things that I thought were important for relationships. One of the things I said to her was, um, I said, you know, the Bible says in your anger, don't sin. So it's not a sin to be angry, but in your anger, don't sin. Don't let the sun go down in your anger. And so I said, if we're going to be girlfriend and boyfriend, I would like you to consider um, us working things out like the same day that a problem happens. I said, because things are gonna happen between us. And I said, and what I've realized is that there's a whole lot of people who don't have great relationships. In fact, a lot of people that I know have gotten divorced. And I said, I just don't wanna practice divorce. Mm -hmm. I said, the way you practice divorce, even at our age, is you get mad at each other and you walk away. And I said, so I'm gonna ask you if you're going to be my girlfriend, not, not just to walk away. I want us to try to resolve the conflict because I believe the Bible gives you a 24-hour period to work out your stuff. And I said, I don't see a lot of people doing that. Uh, I said, but I would like to do that if we're going to be boyfriend and girlfriend. I said, then the other thing is if you say, yes, I'm going to honor you on the 20th of every month. And she said, what does that mean? I said, well, I don't know what it means, but except that I'm going to honor your yes on that day. And so this last um, month in April, we celebrated 554 months together on April 20th. And so, so philosophically, Josh, I was setting some things in place yeah. that I didn't even realize what was happening, but, but really through the wisdom of God, and I give my mom credit for that, is she, she prayed over me. We prayed together from the time I was a child. God, just give Keith your wisdom, give him your knowledge, give him your understanding. And, um, and so that's where it started for me, Josh. Yeah, that's where it, this whole mentality and what, yeah. I've, what I've come to realize since then 
is that everybody has a philosophy of life, but it's, it's either by default or by design. And what I've observed in my 62 years in the earth is that most people live on default. They, you know, if, if, you're, if you're married and you decided you were going to get married, you've got a philosophy of marriage, whether you realize it or not. Uh, if you're in business, you've got a philosophy of business, whether you realize it or not. If you have any money, you've got a philosophy about money. And the truth is you have to look at your philosophy, whether it's marriage, business, financially, or whatever, and ask yourself a, re- a very hard question, and is your philosophy working? And, uh, and so, Josh, that's why we're talking about yeah. this. It's not to be uh, esoteric. It's not to be weird about it. But you're going to kind of give some context mm-hmm. today for that because you, uh, w- when did you kind of have the revelation uh, in your life that I was a philosopher? I didn't see myself as a philosopher, but now I know that I am. Uh, but what, when did you? Well, I think, well, I mean, it's just how we grew up. I think how I grew up was very, and um was very much like intentional. And uh, like Pastor Keith said, I talked about this last weekend. So this is your first weekend in our church. You weren't here last weekend. I encourage you to watch last weekend's message because we talked about the why behind philosophy. Why should we have philosophy um, in our life? And uh, we're going to talk about what a philosophy of life is today. But uh, you were very intentional about how you lived. And that's, yeah. that's ultimately what, what philosophy is. You know, it doesn't mean it really benefited me that much because you know, when I was 16, I was wondering whether I was going to take a shower that day or put deodorant on. So I don't know if there was like really a girl that would really be a thoroughbred, you know, like, hey, I want to really date you. It was like, maybe bathe and then we can talk. So Her, her philosophy so, would be, I think it'd be good for you to take a shower. That'd yeah, so philosophy. it definitely wasn't 16 for me. Yeah. Um, but I would say in my 20s, as I really decided, when I was 23, I really decided that you were more than just my earthly father, that you were really a spiritual father to me and a mentor in my life. And, you know, you're really my sensei and uh, you're my didascalos. And so, <laughs> so when I started to do that, I started to, and I'm a, I'm a, I love history. I love everything about history. I love reading about history. And so as I learned about history in my own life, I saw all these parallels between the way that you have lived and ancient philosophy. Yeah. And um, there is a lot, there is so much that we can learn from scripture. Um, and there's a lot that we can learn from not scripture. It's not the, the Bible represents for us absolute truth. It is, it is foundational bedrock, unchanging the truth of God. Um, it's not the only thing, but it's the main thing. Yeah. And there are all kinds of different opinions and thought processes that we can learn from. And uh, so I've seen you kind of live that kind of life where the Bible is a very practical thing that you live by. And so when we talk about, when we talk about philosophy as a church, uh, it's important, I think, that we understand that philosophy is not just meant to be a $10 word. Philosophy is not something that only people that uh, want to intellectualize and ask questions without answers have. What the yeah. ancient philosophers did, there was a time in history where people did not think about what they thought about. And there was a time in history where we didn't consider the, the results and the outcomes of our actions. And so 2,000 years ago, these guys start to think about, well, what does it mean to live a good life? These are all questions that we ask today, but there was a time in history where we didn't. And so um, we did a brain warm up already. I think, I don't know if, I don't know if it's working. Anyway, they'll figure it out. But we did a brain warm up already and philosophy. Um, so we, I had a little brain warm up, but you did a really good one with the triangle. And I think that's perfect. So philosophy is a mix of two words, two Greek words, sophos and philos. And Philos means love of, and sophos means wisdom. So a philosophy is a love of wisdom. Um, That's what it means to have a philosophy. And we talked about that last week, but I'm just giving some context early on. And Musonius Rufus, who was an early Stoic philosopher, he said that philosophy is nothing more than uh, to search out by reason what is right and proper and by deeds put it into practice. So have we got the back screen notes, Um, guys? Is it working? Production team? Feel free so, to answer. Yeah. So that they're be, there. That would be great. Oh, oh, I see the. Yeah. Okay, good. They're well, going to figure it's it on out. The side screens. Let's see if we can get that worked out, guys. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. I think I have. They're going to figure it out. Okay, they're helping. Good. good. So, so um, let me, let me, let's look at this for a second, though. I want you to go. Ahead. So, philosophy, really, really see this. So, the philosophy is the love of wisdom. Okay. Philosophy is nothing else than to search out by reason what is right and proper. 
This is where most people, and even in the church world, I've grown up in church, they stop. Okay, here's what's right. Here's what's proper. I'm going to be a good boy. I'm going to be a good girl. I'm going to do more good than I do bad. And maybe my righteousness will put me in good standing with God. But watch this. By your deeds that you put into practice. So it's one thing to know what's right and wrong. It's one thing to know what's good and best. It's a whole nother thing to align your life and actually live your philosophy of life. Yeah. So again, most people, Josh, they have a, a philosophy by default rather than by design. They don't know they have a philosophy, but they have a philosophy well, because they're living in it. So, so if Eusonius Rufus said this, it's us making decisions. All a philosophy is, is us deciding how to live. Your proof of the philosophy of life that you have is the decisions that you make every day. So let me give you an example. Some people's philosophy of life is rooted in being happy. So every decision that they make is just the pursuit of happiness. How can I be happy? So they'll leave spouses because they're not happy. They'll leave jobs because they're not happy. They'll make certain decisions just because they're not happy. So they're pursuing happiness, right? So our philosophy of life is rooted and grounded in something, whether we realize it or not, and this is what Pastor Key's saying when he's saying by default or by design. We, have, we all personally, as human beings, this is the way our brain works, we have a criteria by which we make decisions. Now, we might not know what that is, but we have one. And when we decide what that criteria is, we have a good philosophy of life. When we don't, we're living life by default. Right. So we're letting situations dictate for us uh, the kind of philosophy that we have. And there's a lot of different reasons and background behind philosophy. Let me see if it's, is it working? Yes, they got it. Go team. Go team. There's a lot of complex technology. Yes. So philosophy is us deciding how to live. Um, wisdom, so if we love wisdom, which the philosophers tell us to do this, the Bible tells us to love wisdom. Get wisdom. Wisdom is the principal thing, is what Scripture says. Yeah, so, so pause there for just a second. So God said the wisest man that ever lived was Solomon. In Proverbs 4, verse 7, Solomon said wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom, and with your wisdom, get understanding. Wisdom is the ability to differentiate, Josh, between good and best, and then actually Choosing best. Choosing best. You're not wise because you know the difference between good and evil. You're not wise because you know the difference between good and best. You're wise when you know the difference between evil and good and then between good and best, and you actually choose best. Yeah. And so we're just, set, I'm just, we're just setting the table right now for what we're going to talk about. And as a church, um, we have what we call a mastery goal. And we've talked about that a few times this year. We're going to continue to talk about that. But what we feel like the purpose, like the driving force behind this church, the thing that this church is called to accomplish is to help each one of us establish a, a biblical philosophy of life that empowers us to reach our full God-given potential. So, so, Josh, let me tell you why that's important. Uh, I traveled all over the country and around the world for many, many years preaching the gospel. Um, in some of the largest venues in the world and saw thousands and thousands, and it would not be an exaggeration to say millions of people come to Christ. When I started this church in our first um, membership class, we called it charter membership. There was actually 397 people who joined our church uh, in their first charter membership class. And you could have heard a pin drop in the room because I was on TBN at that time a lot, Christian television, um, and, you know, was just, like I said, in a lot of the larger churches in America speaking. And I said, uh, probably anybody that you see on TBN isn't going to speak in our church. <laughs> probably anybody, and I saw it just kind of went down the line. You could have heard a gasp in the room. And I said, because we're going to have a different kind of church. And I said, we're not just going to have a church that is a conversion culture. But my heart is to have a church with a transformation culture. In other words, where people don't just decide to follow Christ. But guess what? They actually live for Jesus. Yeah. It's like, it's like, it's like not, not like, okay, I need, to, I need to, my sin, because I grew up in this, right? I need my sins forgiven. I've sinned. God forgives your sin. But your life doesn't change. Yeah. And so, so again, there's some unique distinctives about our church. So when you see 
a mastery goal. Like there's a lot of believers, a lot of Christians, that honestly in their immaturity, they would say, well, shouldn't the church be about reaching people for Jesus? Yeah. But the church is not a building. The church is you and me. What the church should be about is us transforming into the image of the yeah. Lord Jesus Christ yeah. and letting our light so shine before men that they see your life and go, man, I want what that person has. Yeah. I want what that person has. And Josh, yeah. what I saw growing up is yeah. there wasn't much difference between people yeah. who called themselves Christians and believers yeah. than people who weren't Christians yeah. and there were unbelievers. Yeah. And in the name of Jesus, that's what differentiates this tribe. You have a chance to be a living epistle of what the word of God says and the blessing, favor, success, yeah. prosperity that comes with that for the glory of yeah. God. In Jesus' yeah. name, amen. So really simple. Our philosophy of life is the way that we live. I love, I've heard Pastor Keith quote this my whole life. I don't know who originally said it, but it's, it goes like this. You're writing a gospel, a chapter each day, by deeds that you do and words that you say. Men, read what you write, whether faithless or true. Say, what is the gospel according to you? Those of us who are Christians in this room, we don't just think that Jesus was kind of a cool guy. We look at the life of Jesus and we think that's something worth following. Now, where most people stop is they just believe it. And all of us know the reputation of Christians in America and the Western world. Um, so, we can believe a lot of things, but not be intentional about the way that we live our life. All of us in this room, everyone that can hear my voice, online, whatever, we're all alive. We're all living. And all of us decide, we make decisions every day. You, you heard Pastor Keith say, we make 35,000 decisions in a day. All of us make decisions, therefore all of us have a philosophy of life. Therefore, whether or not you or I want to be a philosopher, we're philosophers because we're deciding how to live. We have a way of living. Most of us are unintentional about our philosophy of life. We live by default, so we don't live intentionally. So our likelihood of ever reaching our potential personally or helping other people reach their potential is pretty low. But if we can become intentional about the way that we live, we're gonna live a life by design. We're gonna be intentional Therefore, our likelihood of reaching our own personal potential is pretty much guaranteed. And our likelihood of helping other people do the same thing uh, is guaranteed as well. And a lot of people believe in the good news. The gospel, the word gospel comes from an Anglo-Saxon, combination of Anglo-Saxon words, which means good news. And they believe in the good news of, the good news of Jesus demonstrated by the life of Jesus. Now, now the, the issue for me growing up in the church is a lot of Christians' lives aren't that great, so they don't represent the gospel in that their life is not good news to me. The good news that you and I have is the good news that we live. So if my life is not representative of goodness, then how can I really make an impact in the world? Right. Uh, <laughs> because my philosophy of life isn't great. And so in, uh, there, there's a, I want to give you 2,000 years of history in two minutes, and then, uh, and then I want to ask Pastor Keith some questions. So we have the Old Testament. A lot of us look at the Bible, and there's, we look at the Bible as a book. The Bible is not a book. The Bible is more like a library. It's a collection of books. There's 66 books in the Bible. There's 39 books in the Old Testament, 27 books in the New Testament. The, the books of the Bible were written by a lot of different people over thousands of years of history. And we look at the Old Testament and we look at the New Testament and we just think that, oh, these books were all written back to back to back to back. And uh, they all kind of are really easily, they, they commingle with each other. Um, between the Old Testament and the New Testament, there's 400 years of history. The Old Testament was originally a collection of books written for a certain group of people, ancient Jews. And it was written to show them, to teach them how to know God for themselves. The only people that really had access to the Old Testament 2,000 years ago were ancient Jews. Like they would not know about it. We didn't have books like we have today back then. So, so people that weren't Jews wouldn't know a lot about uh, Yahweh. They wouldn't know a lot about what the Old Testament had to say about them. Then we have the New Testament and that's kind of for the church today. There's a lot I could get into about that. Pastor Keith wanted me to talk about my book. So I talk about this in the book. The book okay, actually- you know, you know why? Let me tell you why. 
I have over 10,000 books in my library. I've read, studied, I continue to read, I continue to study. And this is one of the most profound books in tying in the Old Testament and the New Testament and philosophy and how we should live. Thanks, and I'm just very proud of you because I know, I know books. So I'm just telling you, it's, it's, it's a wonderful, wonderful book. So there's a QR code you can scan. We're basically giving this away for free. The actual book's going to be out next year. We did this kind of pre-release. In the, in the book, I did a little colorful timeline because some of us like pictures. I'm one of those people. And um, there's a timeline of like a little bit of world history here. And so the Old Testament uh, is completed, and there's what's called the, uh, scholars call it the intertestamental period. It's called the silent period. There's 400 years of history that happened between the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament, between Malachi and Matthew. In this 400 years, it's like, well, you know, I guess some things happened. No, it was like one of the most, one of the largest times of progression in human history. We have the rise and fall of the Persian Empire led by Xerxes. We have, or started by King Darius and led by Xerxes and further people behind him. We have the rise, the rise of the Greek Empire led by Alexander the Great. They went and conquered the known world. Alexander did something called Hellenization, which was about bringing Greek culture and thought into all of the worlds that he conquered. And then we have the rise of the Roman Empire, which is the largest empire in, in known history, in, in world history at that time. And so there's massive human progress that happens between the Old Testament and the New Testament. One of the, probably the greatest thing for me that happened during this 400 years of, of history is the rise of philosophy. People started to think about how they thought and how they lived. There's a guy named Socrates. Literally, Socrates is born as the Old Testament is completed. Now, I'm not saying that philosophy is like the Third Testament, but it's really interesting to me that God would um, allow, because God is designing the plan of the world, that God would allow something like philosophy to arise during a time that he wasn't speaking. And so people started to study and determine how they should live and what it meant to live by wisdom. We get to the Roman Empire, which is the world of the New Testament. The dominant school of philosophy in the Roman Empire was a school called Stoicism. And um, Stoicism, the, here, well, here's the way philosophy would work. Here's how important philosophy was in the ancient world. For many of us in this room, you didn't grow up studying philosophy, you didn't go to school and, and do philosophy. Um, they didn't have school like we have today. You wouldn't send your kids to school and then learn a bunch of subjects. The purpose of education, for the most part, in the ancient world was to teach people how to live. And what you would do is you would, as a kid, you would have been raised in a school of philosophy. There was a lot of them. You would have been raised in a school of philosophy. And then what you would do every day is you would send your kids to go, to go meet with a philosopher, and that philosopher would teach them how to think, that philosopher would teach them the kind of attitude they should have and the kind of actions that they should take. Now, our schools don't do that today. They don't teach people how to live. Um, they, they want to teach people what to believe. They, they would love to tell you what to think, but original schools of philosophy would talk about how do you think. Um, that should really be the goal, in, in my opinion, of education. But anyway, um, Stoicism becomes the leading philosophy in the world at this, at this time in history. And this is important because there's a few key elements of Stoicism. And when I say that Pastor Keith was or is represents a philosopher to me, there's a lot in Stoicism that's become common knowledge and culture 2,000 years later. And so what we want to do today is talk about what, what comprises, like, what are, if we're going to have a great philosophy of life, and we all should, I think we've made that case at this point, if we're going to have a great philosophy of life, what are the key elements of one? So let me, let, me, let me just pause, Josh, and say this. So there's nobody like this here. But in some churches, there's really super spiritual people. And so super spiritual people go, what does Stoicism have to do with the gospel? Because they don't understand. Mm -hmm. Stoicism helps shape the gospel. That's what a lot of people don't understand because they don't know history. And when I say that, what I'm saying is, to be a Stoic, we, like we, when we think of Stoics, we think, well, somebody that's just, you know, doesn't talk. But why were they called Stoics? So um, there was a, a, a covered porch in ancient Greece was called a Stoa. And Stoics met underneath a covered porch. So they met under a Stoa. They called them Stoics. If we met at the mall and we talked about philosophy, they'd call us Moloks. 
That was why they were called Stoics. Right. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm trying to paint a picture of how prevalent this, this school of thought was because the New Testament is written to an audience that understands having a philosophy of life. So the New Testament in Jesus himself comes from the perspective of when you have the philosophy of life that you have, make sure that it's rooted and grounded in following Jesus and living according to scripture. Now the problem we have today, I feel like in the modern world is nobody understands philosophy. No one's making decisions about how they should live. And so they only understand parts of, the, of scripture because what, what I learned in church a lot growing up and what I learned in Christian context, I went to a Christian school, I took one theology class and realized that this is a waste of my time um, to just talk about theology because a lot of it, unfortunately, is highly impractical. Right. Let's just study God, let's just get to know God, let's just pursue God. Is all of that important? Absolutely. Also, we should decide how to practically live our lives every day. So there's, there's gotta be a, a balance and a life that we live that yes, is rooted in the knowledge of, of how wonderful and how amazing God is, but also like, I wanna be a good husband. <laughs> And I want to figure out how to be a good father. And I want to be successful in life. And I want to live a good life. So if I only understand God, how is that going to help me know what it means to live a good life? How will I get to the end of my life and know that I've been successful if all I do is purpose to just understand God? So, so the importance of philosophy is practical in that it helps us understand how we should live. And so New Testament, and you can read this in my book, and you can read this um, in in and you can study this yourself. The New Testament is written to a Stoic audience, and in fact, much of, the, much of church history is rooted and grounded in the study of philosophy. And I'll talk, that, talk about that a little bit today, but let's get into practical stuff. So the first element of a great philosophy of life, we should purpose to have one. The first element of a great philosophy of life is we need to understand that we don't control what happens, but we always control how we respond. So I want you to think about what causes you the most anxiety in your life? What causes you the greatest concern? What, what you spend most of your time consumed with and thinking about or upset about? Most of those things, if not all of those things, are things that we can't control. So if I ask you this question, which I am, what do you control? And you spent all day thinking about it, you would land in some form or fashion on these three things your thoughts, your attitudes, and your actions. This is it. This is the summation of what's within our control. Our think, our be, and our do. Another way to know whether or not you're in control of a situation is if you say the word should. If I say something should be a certain way, or something shouldn't, shouldn't be a certain way, that's how I know I'm not in control so, of that. So people should all over themselves. And the reason, the reason, the reason they do that is because, and I want you to see something here. If you get married, if you get married, there's a part of you that thinks my spouse should do this. If you have a job and you're not the boss, my boss should do this. If you are the boss, my employees should do this. Yep. If you come to a church the pastor should do this. Now, here's the problem. The problem is, and I really want you to see this here, is how, how do we get to a place in the world where we are now, where it seems like everybody's a victim of something? Here's why. You're not focused on your thoughts, you're focused on their thoughts. You're not focused on your attitudes, you're focused on their attitude and how their attitude is making you feel. You're not focused on your actions, you're focused on the actions of others. And now I'm a victim of what somebody else did, I'm angry, I'm hangry, and every other derivative of anger that there can be yeah. because I don't realize what I can control and what I can't control. And the truth is what I can control is my thoughts, my attitudes, my actions, and Josh, in three words, everybody is a philosopher. Whether you realize it or not, you are a philosopher. And it can be summed up in three words, how you think, how you choose to be, and what you choose to do. And when you look at your life, 
And if you'll take responsibility for your life, then you'll realize that whatever you have, the kind of marriage you have, the kind of job you have, the kind of dreams and goals that you have are a result of how you think, how you be, and what you decide to do. So philosophically speaking, think plus be plus do equals have. If in any, of your, in any area of your life you do not like what you have, go back to what you're doing, not what they're doing. Go back to what you're doing. If you, if you don't like that and you say, okay, I've made some wrong decisions, then go back to your being. How am I being? How is my attitude? Go back to how you think. So in other words, you can fix stuff. You're a fixer. Yeah. You, can, you can't fix them. You can't fix that. Yeah. You can't fix their thoughts, their attitudes, and what they do. But you can fix you, y'all. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. You can fix you. So the reason why this is important, it's important for us to realize this. You and I are completely powerless over the world. We have no power over other people. We have no power over other situations. But the good news is we have complete power over ourselves. And growing up in church, I heard people a lot, they like prayed should prayers. Their prayers were like, God, do this. God, change this. God, I need you to move this with this person. God, I need you to do this over here. Most of our, if we're honest with ourselves, if I'm honest with myself, most of my thoughts are consumed with other people's things that have to change. God, I need gas prices to change. God, I need that that president, he's got to get out of there. Yes. Like, God, I need all of this. God, I need, here's my list. Here's my list of things that need to get fixed so that my life can be better. This is what people, this is how people live, whether they're, whether they believe in God or not. Right. When I realize that I have power over myself, I start to look at my situation as a result of me, not a result of them over there. The unfortunate thing that most people do is they spend more time thinking about everything that's external to them and everything that's outside of their control than what's in their control. And so that's what consumes people. That's what causes all this anxiety and doubt and fear and uncertainty is all of this stuff that they can't control. Like what's going to happen? We don't know what's going to happen, but what I do know is how I'm going to think about what happens. What I do know is what my attitude's going to be about what happens. And what I do know is what I'm going to do about what happens. So Pastor Keith has always taught in triads. We call these things triads. Um, a triangle is the most powerful shape that exists in nature, right? The delta, the triangle, is the, uh, a, a sign for change in mathematics. In church, we have the Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Something very powerful about threes and triangles. So let me just, let me just rattle some stuff off to you for a minute. So these three things are happening simultaneously. Your thoughts, your attitudes, your actions, your think, your be, your do, your past, your present, and your future, uh, your spirit, your soul, and your body, your hindsight, your insight, your foresight. In other words, I could go on and on and on and show you that too often times we don't understand your past is never past. Your present is never just present. Your future is never just the future. They happen simultaneously. And when you can understand that it's not just that one thing leads to another, no, these synergistically are always happening the whole time. So again, Josh, what you said is so, that's so profound. What you need to understand about philosophy and about your own philosophy of life is that you can't control other people. You can't control certain things, but you always can control how you're going to respond to it. Philosophically, to really understand that is a powerful, yeah. powerful thing. So, uh, go ahead, Josh. I, well, I and, this is what, and this is what Scripture says about that. Here's what Jesus does. He shows up on the scene, and he looks at the world, and he says, repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The word that he uses there is a Greek word, metanoia. What that word means is change your thinking. So yeah, repent. Repentance starts with changing the way that we think. This is what Jesus himself says. Start with your thinking about situations. If you want the world to change, change up here. It's Jesus. 
Romans chapter 12, verse 2, I uh, quoted it last week, but the Bible says, don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but allow God to transform you into a new person. Okay, stop there. Go back. Don't, this is what most people do. They're copying the behavior and customs of this world. I call that taking your cues. You're taking your cues from how your industry runs. You're taking your cues from how the family that you grew up in. You're taking your cues from your ethnicity. You're taking your cues from your nationality. In other words, you're taking your cues. You're, you're copying the behavior and customs of the world, but let God transform you into a new person. That would be good just by itself. You go, okay, and then look what's next. Look what's next. <laughs> by changing the way that you think. By this is the Bible. By changing the way you think. How am I transformed? Not by hearing a good message, not by praying a lot, not by worshiping a lot. We're going to have a great encounter night Wednesday. Don't miss it. It's going to be amazing. But watch this. This will be a part of us getting into the presence of God. So what can happen? We can change the way that we think. George Barna years ago, it's been about 10 years now, Josh. He said the average Christian comes to a church 10 years and remains unchanged. They come to church, they check the box. Their life never changes. Their sins are forgiven. They feel like they're going to heaven, but they're never transformed. This is what I grew up in, Rod. I know you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> so, so the Bible itself, so people go, what's all this stuff about philosophy? The Bible itself says start with your thinking. That's it. Right? Don't, don't try to put the world in order when your own house is falling apart. Right? So, so the responsibility that we have, and like a lot of people, they come to God, and I've seen this so much because I've grown up in church. They come to God, they're like, God, just change everything. God, I want you to have what I want. God's like, hey, I need you to think better. Well, that's, that's work for me. What, what I really need is for you to change it, God. God's like, yeah, I want to change it, but you got to change your thinking. Yeah, but that's hard. Then I'll have to change some stuff. I don't want to change stuff. I need you to change me. Yeah. God's like, I want to change the state of your soul, and I want to change what's in your heart, but you got to change what's in your head. When I was a kid, Pastor Keith would talk to me. I would ask him about, like, you know, I'd be dealing with temptation or different stuff as a young man and ask my dad, like, how do I not think about And I'm a thinker. I'm, like, always thinking about stuff. My problem is overthinking. And when you're overthinking, here's how you know you're overthinking. When you're answering questions, nobody's asking. That's how you know you're overthinking. I'm really great at that. So I would ask him, like, how can I think better? He's like, the way you should see your brain is your brain's like a runway and you're the air traffic controller and you decide which planes get to land. There's always planes that are circling, but you decide which planes get to land. So our thought processes are like that, that if we hold on and latch on to certain thought patterns, those become our thought patterns. So the situation that we're in, okay, might not be our fault, but our perspective is. Our thinking is our fault, right? The situation I'm in might not be my fault, but my attitude is, my attitude is always my responsibility. It's always my fault. The situation I'm in might not be my fault, but what I do is my fault. What I do is my responsibility. I've heard so many people with kids, like I have kids now and I see other parents with their kids. And I've seen people talk to their kids and they tell their kids, you're making me do this. It's amazing that your kids are in control of you. And, but that's how people live. They, they don't realize the power that they have over themselves, so they give themselves over to situations. They allow uncontrollable things to control them. So I can't control what happens in America, but I'm gonna allow what happens in America to control my thoughts and to control my attitudes and to control what I do. I can't control what my boss does, but I'm gonna allow what my boss does to control my thoughts. I'm allowing what my boss does to control, I can't control my wife. But I, but I can allow what my wife does to control my thinking, to control my attitudes, and then to control my actions. And then I live my life and I say, You're, the reason why I did that is because this situation made me do it. And I give all my power away to things I can't control. When God says, if you can understand how powerful you are, and this is how Pastor Keith raised me and this is what he teaches in our church. If you can understand how powerful you are, over your own thinking, then you can control your response to any emotion that you feel. You never will have an excuse to have a bad attitude. 
And if you never give yourself an excuse to have a bad attitude, you'll do right things. You'll do the right things and you'll have the right things in your life. Think plus be plus do equals what you have in life. So step one, (laughs) three steps today. Step one, only focus on what you can control. If you can't control it, stop it. And again, just in parentheses, never allow the uncontrollables to cause you to lose control of what you can control. That's when you're out of control. When you're out of control is when you allow and you focus on the uncontrollables and therefore you allow what you can't control to control what you can control. So, so in a marriage, how does this work in a marriage? Well, she's not doing what she should do. So therefore I'm not going to do what I could do. So we live these lives of shoulda, coulda, woulda. Well, I shoulda, I coulda, I woulda. But we stop doing what we can control because somebody that should or that's supposed to do what they're supposed to do causes us to stop doing what we know to do. And it'll mess up your marriage. It'll mess up your life. So what's the second one? So the first element, remember, philosophy is the way that we live. The first element of a great life is understanding that you can only control what you can control, and that's all that you should, you should be focused on. The, 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 the second thing is, is rooted in a question. How can you know that you're successful? How can you and I know that we're living a good life? Now, a lot of people will say, oh, maybe based on the Bible or whatever, but a lot of people's interpretations of even the Bible is, is, can be very different. And it's not about being a moral person. That's not just what God wants. God wants us to live a great life. God wants us to have great families. He wants us to achieve our potential. Again, our mastery goal as a church is to have a biblical philosophy of life that empowers us to reach our God-given potential. There's only one, here's element number two, there's only one way to know that we're successful, and that's if we live by virtue. And that's a philosophical statement, virtue. Today, we would call those things core values. So ancient philosophers would teach us that because we can only control ourselves, the only way for us to be successful is to live by core values. Because I cannot determine every outcome that I experience. I can't determine how healthy I'm always going to be. Sometimes my health is outside of my control. I can't always control how much money I make. I can't always control how much influence I have or how much perceived success that I have. And most people go through life, right? And they live life and they base their success on externals. They base their success on things they can't control. But if we determine to control what we can, then we also have to say, okay, how do I know I'm controlling those things well? Pastor Keith says it this way, when you know what matters most, you can live a life that most matters. So we have to decide the things that matter most to us in life. The Stoics had what they called the four virtues. And these four virtues were wisdom, courage, temperance, and justice. And so what they said is when we control our thinking, the question we have to ask is, is our thinking wise? Is it rooted in doing the best thing, not just the good or bad thing? Is our, our attitudes rooted in temperance? Are our attitudes balanced? Temperance is all about balance. Are our actions producing justice? Not just producing justice for ourselves. A lot of people are really great at talking about their personal injustice while allowing injustice to perpetuate in society. How are we creating a more just society? And then, and then how are we demonstrating courage in the face in the face of fear because this is about leading ourselves so that we can ultimately lead the world at our church here's here's what we don't believe the customer's not always right our 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 we want our church to be influential we want to reach as many people as possible but our job is not to please an audience success for us is not having audience pleasure For all of us though, we could look at our successes, how many followers we have, how popular we are, how many people, uh, how how many people are on on the path with us that we're on. Our pursuit should be, we have values and we're gonna purpose to live by those values. When you and I go to bed every night, how do we know that that day has been a good day? The way to know that is if we got closer to our core values that day. If we got closer to our core values that day and we tried our best, to think, be, and do according to what we think is most important and what we think is most important based on scripture, then that meant that was a good day. If we go to bed at night and we're like, man, you know, like one of my core values is honor. 
And if, if I go to bed at night and I think, man, I was dishonoring today towards Courtney or I was dishonoring towards leaders in my life, then what I've done is I have lived a bad day because I didn't live by my core values. And so you didn't have a good day or a bad day because you got the sales. You didn't have a good day or a bad day because you made more money this day. Uh, going back to Sheila and I's relationship, um, when I drew that triangle and when I was trying to explain to her really what my philosophy of life in, in terms of relationships was, um, that now I've taught all over the world um, because it works. And I'm trying to explain this to her and I'm saying, you know, here's you, here's me, here's God, let's be our best for God. And I'm trying to share with her uh, thought processes about, listen, I'm gonna ask you if you're gonna be my girlfriend, um, I'm gonna ask you to consider this. The Bible says, in your anger, don't sin. So we're gonna get angry, to, be, to get angry with each other is not a sin. But it says, in your anger, don't sin. Well, how do you sin when you get angry? You let your son go down on an anger. In other words, you don't resolve it. You carry it into the next day. So I said, what I've seen, and I'm 16, she's 15 when we're having this talk, this philosophical talk. I said, what I've seen around me is that there's a lot of people who don't just get divorced, they practice divorce way before divorce happens. And one of the ways people practice divorce is, is, is unforgiveness. They, they stop talking. They walk away from each other. They don't resolve it. They carry it into the next day. And here's what the Bible says, which is what my philosophy of life, by the way, is based on. The Bible says that your enemy gets a foothold if you take your anger into the next day. Now it's not just between you and your spouse. Now it's not just between you and that person. But when you keep getting, and we, we are in a, a world right now that is full of hatred and anger. Why? Because there is no biblical worldview. There is no philosophy of life based on that. So, so I shared with her, so I'm going to ask you if we're going to be together as, as a girlfriend and boyfriend, if you would just commit to me, let's do everything we can. We aren't going to be perfect at it, but let's try to work out our problems the same day. Mm -hmm. she, so she goes, okay. And I said, then the, the last thing is, it was January 20th, 1976. I said, today's the 20th, and if you say yes to being my girlfriend, then I'm gonna honor you uh, on this day every month for as long as we're together. And she said, well, what does that mean? I said, I'm not sure what it means, but I'm just gonna honor your yes. Yeah. Well, April 20th, we celebrated 554 months together, and we've had an anniversary every month. And the reason I say that is not to be ushy gushy smooshy wooshy with you or or to pat myself on the back what i'm saying is i was establishing core values based on a philosophy of relationships of how i thought relationships work yeah. and 554 months later i can tell you 100 it absolutely works yeah. and so how did that relate to my family i know by the way josh i'll just tell you and precious and everybody here if after i went through that with her and she said, well, I really don't agree with that. She wouldn't be sitting in the room today. Josh wouldn't be sitting in the room. And I may not be sitting in this room teaching philosophy, biblical philosophy, but I, I would be somewhere teaching it because it works. It's not my way, yeah. it's his way. Yeah. It really, really does yeah. work. Yeah. But it was, a, the thing about it is, Josh, here's, what, here's the mistake people make. They don't know any better, and so they fall in love. Just think about that term for a minute. I fell in love. If you can fall in love, you can fall out of love. And so what keeps a marriage together and what makes a relationship great, listen very carefully now, is not the love you have for each other. It's the core values you have together. Yeah. It's the what matters most to you that you yeah. both live. And the most significant relationships personally and professionally that you will ever have are relationships based on core values. Here's the problem. Most people and most companies do not have core values. And then the companies that do have core values, they have them on the wall, but oftentimes they're not living it or the leaders of that company aren't living it. Yeah. So a company might have integrity as a core value and then the CEO's whoring around, that's a biblical word, whoring around uh, on his wife. And, and so he's supposed, to, he's supposed to keep his word with, in his business 
or, or you're not going to have a business very long, but he's not keeping his word with his wife. Yeah. Is everybody understanding yeah. what I'm saying? So watch this. It has nothing to do with him loving his wife and him cheating on his wife. And that's what so many people, it's so, it's so, um, it's so uh, profound and yet it's so simple. Well, if you loved me, you wouldn't have done that. No, the truth is you're not living by mutual core values that you've committed to that cause you to even work through stuff even when mistakes are made. Yep. So an affair is never about love between two people. An affair is about values and not living your core values that nurture love. So how did that work in our family? The way it worked in our family was, and Josh has it tattooed on his arm right there with our family crest, it really worked. When you tattoo it on your body, it must, you must have taken it seriously, son. Yeah, I do too. But anyway, so, so honor, positive attitude, excellence, generosity, and leadership. Now the way that that worked for my family was, for instance, some of you know this story, I've shared it before, but little Josh is about six years old, we're at Six Flags Over Texas. We walk in the bathroom and ladies, uh, I, 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 I don't walk into many uh, ladies' bathrooms, but I walk in a lot of men's bathrooms, and I'm just telling you, it's one of the worst things about being a man. Because you can tell, a, 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 first of all, a guy did not have a father that told him how to lift the lid, do his business, clean off the rim of the toilet, then lower the lid back down, a lot of guys just walk in, pee all over the lid. I'm just being real with you now. And because watch this, they have no philosophy of life about the person coming behind them. And obviously in their home, they were not taught that. So they don't know. It's like with Sheila, the last thing that happens at night, when I use the restroom, I say, listen, are you going to be using the restroom anymore tonight? Because I'm going to leave the lid up because I will be coming back in the night. <laughs> and if she ever gets up, I'll literally wake up and say, remember the lid is up, but every other time the lid is down. Now, why is that? Because I'm striving to live by my core values of yeah. what matters most. Yeah. So Josh and I walk in this restroom. You remember that day? Uh, well, I don't know if I remember it or the story, but yes, yeah. I do remember. So I said, Josh, the experience. I said, Josh, I want you to look at this trash. We're going to walk in a lot of spaces. It's six flags, you know, yeah, and a six. men's bathroom at six flags, which is like a truck stop bathroom. Right. Except worse. But like, yeah, but Six Flags food. And so I said, you see this, son? In our family, we're going to walk into places and spaces like this. And in every space we ever walk in, we're going to leave it better than when we came in. Because we value so said, excellence. So he's just looking at me. And I said, so what that means is we're going to clean up this bathroom. So I want you to go over there and start picking stuff up and cleaning stuff up. And we cleaned up that whole bathroom. Then we finally used the restroom and then we walked out. Now, now, why, what was the thought process behind that? The thought process was I wanted him to be empowered that when he walked into a mess, he walked in and he walked out and it was better. That was the, that yeah. was the issue. Because and it was core values. Yeah, because we valued excellence in our family. So we might not have the influence or fame or success <laughs> or power that we crave. But we shouldn't crave those things anyway because they're not within our control. What's within our control is our ability to live by core values. And as a family uh, growing up, for me, like we had honor and positive attitude and excellence and generosity. So, so to this day, if I have a hard day um, and I feel like I wasn't maybe, ex maybe successful in the world's eyes that day, I can lay my head on the pillow and go, okay, was I honorable today? Because what my dad says is we don't honor because they're honorable. We honor because we're honorable. Did I do that today? Did I think, be, and do according to that today? Okay, yeah, I did. Positive attitude, excellence, generosity, leadership, same way. And so what we should do is decide what our values are. These things right here that the Stoics did, they said these are the virtues of Stoicism. Thomas Aquinas and St. Augustine went on to make these virtues the cardinal virtues of the church. Yeah. Early theologians, and especially in the Catholic Church, they talk about these being the cardinal virtues of the church. These come directly from Greek philosophy. But the, the thing is, you and I can decide what our core values are, and then we can take all the, all the think, be, and do, and go, how am I thinking according to my core values? What's my attitude according to my core values? And what's my actions according to those things? Josh. So my question for you, 
um, I think that would help everybody that you've done in our family and you've done for yourself personally is how can we develop those core values? Okay. I'll, just, I'll just simply say this because it's a, you know, one of the reasons that I started coaching, I was coaching before I started our church, um, is because I, I, I was asked when I was 37, do you ever think you're a pastor? And I said, I'm not sure I'm that foot that fits in that shoe. And one of the reasons was because of the intentionality that I had decided to live with, with core values. And, uh, and so I thought, I'm not sure I'm, I'm going to be a pastor because I was helping businesses, helping business leaders establish. That was one of the first things that I started doing way back in the 90s was helping business leaders, helping individuals establish a core values-based life. And then as we came to 2000, when I started the church, I thought, you know what? I'm 40 years old. I, this stuff has worked. I was a millionaire. I had enough fruit in my life that I thought maybe I could build a church that could be an incubator of greatness, that the same things that I've applied to my life, that it could actually work on a larger scale. And so rather than just going to businesses and do it, maybe businesses would come and business people, which are all in some kind of business, would come into a place like this and they would learn the same things that I've learned in my life and that I'm helping people do. And so that's what we, that's what I, I, we did. We started our church as a core values-based church. People had never even heard that in the church world. Even some of my friends like, what does that mean? So we started teaching that to other pastors even. But that's what we do a deep dive on with coaching and through masterminds and through all the things that I do is to help people live a core values-based life because, listen very carefully, that is the metric of whether you're successful or not. The metric philosophically is, are you living your core values? It's not about you leveling up for your business goals. Again, that's the world system. It's about you leveling up to what matters most to you, to you living that. And then I can promise you this, if your core values are right and you actually decide what matters most to you, you can live a life that most matters and I can guarantee you 100% that you'll be successful yeah. and that you'll be prosperous. Yeah. And so again, Josh, it's, it's so yeah. important. It's way more than about just you know, having influence or making a certain amount of money or getting a different kind of job. It's like, what are your what matters most and your relationships yeah. personally and your relationships yeah. professionally will reflect yeah, and that. And it's as simple as just deciding what those things are. I love what Socrates said. Socrates said that, that virtue doesn't come from money, but from virtue comes every good thing. Absolutely. That when we pursue values and we pursue virtue in our life, then what happens is every good thing follows those things. The creator of virtue itself is God. Yeah. All good things come from God. This is why we talk about as a church, not just having a philosophy of life, having a biblical philosophy of life. So if you and I sit here and we say, man, I want to have core values. I want to really live by virtue. Begin to look at scripture and go, okay, like what is it that resonates with me that I want to have in my life? In our family growing up, my parents sat down and they didn't say, well, this is what the Bible says the virtues are that everyone should have. It was like, as a family, we're going to value honor. And we're going to be honorable people. We're going to walk in honor. As a family, we're going to value having a positive attitude. As a family, we're going to value excellence. As a family, we're going to value generosity. My dad sat down with us when we were in our 20s. And I wasn't married yet. Keila wasn't married yet, but Whitney and Clay were. And he said, you can follow me in a lot of things. But if I could ask anything out of you, I want you to follow me in what the values of our family are. That's how powerful values can be. So that's the, so the second step. So what Pastor Keith said. So Josh, Keith said, we're just about through. I know we're, we're going a little bit long. Yeah. But I, are y'all getting something out of this? Are you getting, okay. Um, let, let, me, let, me, let me just say this because you, you, you asked me a question. I hope, hopefully I broached the question. But, but one of the things that I've done through the years, this is called a leadershipology box. These were things that I wrote for myself and that I wrote for my family. These are, and these are just a few of them, by the way. Um, there's actually now recorded over 4,000 thought processes that have been put into quotes and thoughts behind the quote. So literally from A to Z, there's a lot of families that take this box, they'll put it on their breakfast table, they'll draw a card out. So it, it, everything from attitude to beliefs, to commitment, to yep. discipline, to feelings, to goals, to life, I mean, to thinking, 
to on and on and on. My rules for money are in these, are in these, yeah. uh, in these cards. Yeah. And so and again, from a philosophical standpoint, leadership for me was a mandate that God put on my life to lead myself well, Josh. And so with that, I thought, well, I've got to have, an, I've got to have ologies for that. I've got to have a philosophy with that. So that's what leadership ology yes, is. It's a philosophy of leadership that starts with you leading yourself well. So uh, we, we have some of these today that are out in the lobby if you're interested. And then I, I originally, I actually put this in a book called Leadershipology 101. I call this the best bathroom book in the world uh, because you put this on the back of your toilet and then that, the bad stuff goes out and you just take a leadershipology and, and like for instance, it's, it's A to Z. So anger, anger is a God-given emotion to make you better. Hmm, really? And then I give a thought behind the quote. Anger is often seen as a negative emotion because most people get angry when something happens they don't like. However, anger has been given to us by God as an emotional indicator that something is not right. Our first response to anger must be to answer this question, why am I angry about this? In other words, the first focus of your anger must be to shine the light upon yourself, not about what you're angry about. Would somebody put an amen on that? Anger is a proactive emotion God has given to us for three reasons. Number one, deal with yourself first. When you get angry, deal with yourself first. Number two, generate the passion to bring about a solution to any problem. Number three, make people, places, and things better. Anyway, just thoughts like that that help you live yeah. your life. And my goal and our goal now as a church is to help empower you to lead yourself well, yeah. to lead your marriage well, yeah. to lead your family well yeah. through a life philosophy that is based on yeah. the word of the living yeah. God. So if we live our core values, then we're successful. Um, last thing, last element. So step two is live your values. Decide what they are and live them. Last element, and this is the good news, <laughs> is that God has a plan for everything else. So why, can, why should I focus on the things I, I, I only only the things I can control. You know, the Stoics, the, the, the philosophers that um, they came up with this concept called the Logos. And this concept of the Logos, the, the, the word Logos is the Greek word for word. And this concept of the Logos, what, what the philosophers believed was that the universe was rational. The universe was governed by reason. And that if we reason about the state of the universe, then ultimately everything ends up good. Not just good, but virtuous. Yeah. Because the universe, the universe trends toward virtue. This is what philosophers said. So there was a divine principle that governed the universe called the Logos. That would ultimately control all the things that are external to us to make those things virtuous. Then John, the book of John, John chapter 1, the Bible says, In the beginning was the Logos. And the Logos was God, and the Logos was with God, and the Logos became flesh and dwelt among us. John chapter 1 starts with a direct appeal to people that understood philosophy, that understood that there was this thing called the Logos that governed the universe. What philosophers believe was that we couldn't really know the Logos. It was just a principle that governed the world. John says, no, there's not a principle that governs the world. There's a God that governs the yes. world. And that God became a person, and the plan of God became a person named Jesus. So the Logos, the Logos between the Old Testament, 400 years where God was silent, from the Persian Empire to the Roman Empire to Greek philosophy that happened in those 400 years, now you've got the New Testament and the language everybody understands. What is he saying? And the word, the Logos, became flesh. It's not just theoretical. The word is Jesus and he became flesh and he dwelt among men and the light shined in the darkness, but the darkness comprehended it not. But to as many as received, watch this, him, the word to them, he gave power to become sons and daughters of almighty God. Yeah. That's how it all ties in. Yeah. And what, that's what John, so people read that and they think it's this really poetic part of scripture. And the, theologians will often tell us that logos is a biblical word. That word was used in philosophy hundreds of years before it was ever written in scripture. Right. John knew what he was doing by saying in the beginning was the plan. 
And in, in the book of Acts, Paul looks at the philosophers. It says that he reasoned with the Stoics and Epicureans. And he said, you've been trying to feel your way towards God with your philosophy. But I know the God that you've been trying to feel your way towards. So it's not just... So just real quick. He's at a place called Mars Hill. And what they had established, the Greeks, what they had put was they had, they had a literal monument to the unknown God. To the Logos. To the Logos. And Paul said, he pointed, now he's become flesh. It's Jesus. You haven't known, but now you can know. I love Because here's what Romans chapter 8, verse 28 says. Paul says, for we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those that love God and are called according to his purpose for them. The reason why we should focus on what we can control the reason why we should focus on living our values is because we believe God's taking care of everything else that we can't control. That's it. But so right many there. of us, so many of us who are believers, so many of us who are Christians are wrapped up in all the external things that we can't control. But if we really believe that God has a plan for our life, if, really, if we really believe God has a plan for the world and he does, we're the most hopeful people in the room because we know, hey, all God wants me to do is worry about my thinking, my attitudes, and my actions, and he's going to take care of everything else. Beautiful. So step three is believe and act as if God has a good plan for you because he does. Yes, he does. So God is going to make good things happen with what we can't control. We should make good things happen with what we can control And the only way to make good things happen with what we can control is to develop a philosophy of life. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Very good. Well, I'm asking you to bow your heads just real quick. Thank you for your patience. And man, I hope this spoke deep into your spirit. I hope it resonated deeply with you because God wants to have a closer relationship with every person in this room. He wants you to align and to level up your life with his way of thinking, being, and doing that gives you a chance of having a great philosophy of life, a way that you think, a way that you are, what you do in your life that actually works, succeeds, and brings prosperity God's way. So if you're here and you say, you know what, I'm not where I know I need to be with God. I want to get my life right with God. I want to align my life with with God's thought processes, with the way God is, with the actions of God. And if that's you, I'm gonna invite you just to pray a prayer with me out loud. And so with every, every head bowed, every eye closed, just say this with me out loud. You don't have to say it loudly, but just say it out loud. Say, Dear Heavenly Father. Dear Heavenly Father. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for loving me. Loving me so much. Loving me so much. That you sent your son Jesus. Sent your son Jesus. To die on a cross for my sins. To die on a cross for my sins. God, I know today. God, I know today. That your word has been spoken word has been spoken. So now, Lord, continue to speak to me. So now, Lord, continue to speak to me. As I make Jesus Lord of my life. As I make Jesus Lord of my life. Forgive me for the mistakes I've made. Forgive me for the mistakes I've made. The wrong philosophies I've had. The wrong philosophies I've had. And help me, God. Help me, God. To live your way. To live your way. Not my way. Not my way. In Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Can we give those people that made that decision a big hand today, man? Thanks for listening. Be sure to subscribe to our channel to be notified of our latest episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. That way, you know when a new episode has been uploaded. Also, if this message has impacted you and you want to contribute to help us reach more people, visit elevate.life forward slash give. We look forward to seeing you here next time.